0: Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Melanie Robbins Ong, the physician lead for patient and family support services here at Cleveland Clinic. She's here today to talk to us about these supportive services. So welcome, Melanie.
1: Hi, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely.
0: So maybe just start off, um, tell us a little bit about your role here at Cleveland Clinic. What, 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 what do you do here?
1: Sure. Uh, I am a palliative care physician. So I do all inpatient or hospital-based palliative care at the Cleveland Clinic for our palliative care consult service.
0: All right. So clinically, you focus more on on inpatient, but tell us a little bit of, give us an overview about what kind of services we have here at Cleveland Clinic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the the TASA Cancer Center actually has a really incredible and robust support service setup for patients and loved ones. And so I, within the palliative department, get to not only take care of patients from a symptom standpoint, communication standpoint from my palliative role, but I'm also the as the physician lead for the patient and family support services can really help make sure that we have well thought out, robust, accessible ways to help people have better quality of life while they're receiving treatment. Because we know that if you feel better, you do better. Um, So TOSIC Center has a whole list of things that are available. Probably the most Im- one of the most important ones, because it's sort of the center for how to get to all of them, is the Scott Hamilton and Helen McLaurin Patient Resource Center. Uh, that is really the center of where all of our information is. We have a wonderful healthcare liaison named Bria, who sits down there and can answer any questions from patients and loved ones about what's available, provide pamphlets, calendars of activities, and really guide people if they feel like they know they need something, but they're not sure what. And then each of the individual types of services we have, we have art therapy, which can be done in the studio or in a private session, can also be done in the infusion suite while people are receiving therapy. We have music therapy, which is also often done in the infusion suite. So while people are receiving chemotherapy, they could actually have a therapy session that would distract them from what's going on uh, or help them with coping and symptoms. We have mindfulness meditation. We have what we call the Reflections Wellness Program. They do Reiki, uh, guided imagery, reflexology. We also have facials and skincare available because we know chemotherapy does a lot to your body, including your skin. And if we can help you feel better about your skin and how you're looking, we know that also is a huge part of your overall care. Uh, We also have licensed oncology massage therapists that can really help with symptom management for our patients. And a couple other things that we do, we have yoga classes. Uh, We also have a wig boutique that offers complimentary wigs to our patients, private appointments, individualized fittings, lots of different colors and styles. So again, if chemotherapy makes you lose your hair, that can be really emotionally challenging and really make this journey feel much harder. uh, And that's the last thing you need. So if we can help you feel better about yourself and have a semblance of normalcy, Uh, We want to do that. Um, Finally, we also have yoga classes, and we work with the incredible national program, the Fourth Angel Program, which partners patients and caregivers with uh, volunteer, trained volunteer mentors that are people who've gone through situations just like them. So other caregivers, care partners, um, other patients with similar diagnoses, similar age, they do a really nice job of matching them so that you have someone to lean on who knows what you're going through.
0: And, and if people want to know more about the Fourth Angel component, we actually had a previous um, Cancer Advances episode on Fourth Angel program. So, people want, might want to go back and listen. So, um, you mentioned the access to the the resource center, which is really important. Uh, and, and, and I'm happy that in, in our building, it is like the focal point of the building. It's like right in the middle. The, in our previous building, it was actually you had to know it was there. Um, but it's it's right there for everyone to use, so that, that's outstanding. Now there are a lot of other services. How do patients learn about them? How do we get them involved?
1: You know, that's a great question because it's it's tough. We want to make sure that our patients don't have to seek these things out, so we try really hard. Not only is the resource center, like you said, it's very visible. It's right there on the first floor. You really can't miss it because when you walk straight in, it's there. There's not really a door. It's a big open area. It's labeled, Bria's there. So we, we do try to make that very accessible. We do some advertising with rack cards and other signage around TOSIG so that way patients can see it. But we also try really hard to work with the infusion suite nurses, with the physicians, nurse practitioners in TOSIG. To help make sure they know what's available and really can rely on some of their expertise too. So if you're seeing your patient in your clinic and you're getting the sense that, you know, we might be having a coping issue or, you know, I really think they could benefit from non-pharmacologic management of pain or anxiety, we actually have a prescription pad that Bria came up with where you can check the boxes of the services you think might be helpful Or even just write a little note to Bria saying, hey, I've got this concern, and you give that to the patient and they take it to the resource center, and then Bria can help connect them to the things that might make the most sense.
0: That's great. And so that's certainly, um, and a lot of the things you mentioned are available, both inpatient and outpatient. Is that correct?
1: Yes, yeah. Now a lot of them like the wig boutique and yoga; those are typical. Those are outpatient. Uh, but art therapy, music therapy, Reiki. There is a healing services component on the inpatient side with aromatherapy and some other things. So we do have services that cross both sides.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's excellent. Now, the one thing I wanted to make sure we touched on is that we see patients in clinic, and all the attention is usually on the patient. You know, understandable, but they have caregivers that have needs as well, and and. And I think that t- way too often that's ignored. Um, sometimes I make a point of starting my conversations talking to the caregiver instead of the patient, just because mm-hmm. no one ever mm-hmm. else ever does. Um, so tell us about the support we've put in place to help out with caregivers.
1: yes, i I'm glad you brought that up because it is you're right. It's often overlooked. And when someone gets a cancer diagnosis, they're not the only one impacted by that diagnosis. Their loved ones, whether that's family or chosen family, are often part of that, whether that's helping with transportation or just being another set of ears uh, in an appointment or even helping with pillboxes or even 24-hour care. It can be a very complex, layered, and sometimes overwhelming role to be a caregiver and, or what we sometimes refer to as a care partner. So we we worked really hard with the social workers in TOSIG and with some of our caregivers in the community and did a survey to see what needs do you feel as a care partner that you have that are maybe not being met by the current system, by your oncology appointments alone, or um, by the resources that you know are available. And so we did, we sent out the survey and we also did a lot of literature research to determine what are the resources that are commonly needed by caregivers what are the benefits? How can we better support them? And we developed a program called Caring for the Care Partner, which really focuses on bringing a lot of these incredible resources that we have for patients to be available for their loved ones, uh, for for families, for care partners, because we know that if if we can help them have less stress, less anxiety, or feel like they've got the resources they need to answer some of the tough questions overall, everyone's going to do a lot better and feel better about it as they do it.
0: So what are some of the components of the, the program?
1: So we have, in the current Caring for Care partner, we, we're in the process of rolling out a bunch of different services. At this point in time, we have dedicated support from our art therapists, music therapy, meditation, and Reiki, um, yoga, as well as a really strong component of social work support, which includes counseling, education, resource referral support groups. And the fourth angel program already has a really nice setup to work with care partners. Uh, so those are the current services available. And then in the future, we're planning on rolling out availability for people to uh, work with reflexology and, and do some of the other reflections wellness program activities.
0: So it sounds like we have a lot of these services that we're providing with our own providers and and our own services. How do we interact with Places like the Gathering Place and other community sort of resources. Do do we make referrals to to those sorts of uh, resources?
1: Yes. So that that is a great question. We do try to partner really closely with some of our external resources. Social work really helps with a lot of that. They can do a social work assessment to determine what resource needs there are, whether that's lodging, finances, psychosocial support, and then connect to these outside resources like the Gathering Place or even if it's just working with a patient to get hotel access or just some other resource to help them be in the area and have care be smooth, social work works with them on that.
0: So I think one thing that that might be of a concern to patients if you start talking about these services is, are they covered or is there a cost to them and things like that? What what are those sorts of issues and how, how are we being able to provide those services to patients?
1: You're right. That is always a concern, especially when you're already going through really intensive medical therapy. One of the really beautiful and wonderful things about the Toxic Cancer Center is we have incredible philanthropy support, and we are able to offer all of these services as complimentary services. So our, our patients and their care partners don't have to worry about costs. They can receive this support on us. Let us help.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. And I think I think that uh, the more we can do by encouraging them to get those services and reassuring them of that, that's probably best because I think there might be a, a hesitancy from that standpoint.
1: Yeah. agree. And, or they might just not really understand how it could help them or may, might not understand if you ask someone, Hey, do you want such and such sh- service? They might, might not know what they're signing up for and have hesitancy with that.
0: I, I'll ask a question. going to, that'll cause trouble. Um <laughs> Go for you've, it. You've talked about a number of ways patients might be able to to know what's available. Mm-hmm. See the resource center, t- infusion nurses, um, social work might might make some recommendations. Mm-hmm. And then of course there's the doc and APP sort of component. How do most people get to the services and who needs the who needs the most um, education about what's available? Because I think I know that I'm probably in the category that <laughs> that needs the most help.
1: i I think you might be right. Um, you know it is a mix of walk-in referrals from people who've seen the clinic or seen the sorry, the resource center, as well as a nice mix with with the prescription pad that's available that has the list of services you can check box. We do get referrals through that. So I would say it is it is a pretty good mix of both. I I do think continuing education for the providers of what's available within the center is the biggest way to get people connected, especially because we know we know the patients and care partners here are here for world-class care and they build really strong relationships with their oncologists and I think they really trust that relationship too. So it's a really meaningful referral when it comes from someone they know and trust. If their oncologist is the one to say, hey, you know, we're going to do such and such treatment, I also think you would do really well seeing this provider because I think it's going to help support you from a symptom standpoint or just I think you'll tolerate your treatment better. How about you check it out? I, that goes a really long way when you've got an established relationship. Yeah,
0: makes sense. So covid It seems is is impacted about everything. Yes. How has it impacted the ability to give supportive services? Have you, or did Mm -hmm. you make some ways to adapt to, to do more virtual or hands-off types of things and what's been the impact and is that coming back around or?
1: Yes. So like all things COVID has impacted patient services. Absolutely. Yes. Um, in the heart of it and in the beginning, we did temporarily pause a lot of the services and moved a lot towards virtual. Our art and music therapists were able to do some virtual appointments. Uh, yoga was able to do use uh, some internet channels for videos to help still connect. Uh, fortunately, at this point in time, we are able to open, I think almost all the resources are back to their normal capacity. The primary precautions at this point is we are still requiring masks, Um, just we're following the Cleveland Clinic policy, we require masks, we are still trying to social distance. Uh, A lot of the services are typically private appointments anyway, so we can still maintain um, some level of distance with that. And obviously sanitation and just taking precautions of screening. If you're coming in the building, there's an expectation that you'll be screened for, for COVID symptoms, and we'll reschedule if we need to, and we'll work with you on that
0: you know, I think we found that clinically there was actually some benefit to the move toward virtual. And so are some of these services going to remain virtual and maybe have a little better access for patients in some some settings?
1: You know, that's a really interesting question. It's something that we've talked about in the background. I I think we have found at this point in time that a lot of the services we're offering because there's so much therapeutic value in the actual face-to-face interaction for these type of services, our preference is to maintain in-person. Um, we do recognize that having video yoga instruction and some some of the other video availability does increase access, um, but it it's not quite the same therapeutic benefit. So... I'm not sure where we're going to head with that at this point in time, but I I think it's definitely a question that's on our minds of what do we need to continue doing outreach-wise and is there a role for that in the future in a more permanent basis?
0: So what are the gaps? What would you like to see um, us be able to do that we're not able to do currently?
1: You know, that's a good question. It's one that I think in my role as the physician lead, part of my job is to constantly be assessing what we're offering and to also look to some of the other top cancer centers in the country and see what's available through them and start hopefully building a collaboration with them to to see, are there things we could build together? Are there things that they're doing that we would love to do? Are there things that we're doing that we could help them build? I suspect there are gaps. Uh, what they are is something we're still looking into. Unfortunately, COVID kind of squashed some of those opportunities and the ability to even reach out and collaborate so I'm hoping that's something we can do more of in the future. Is really collaborate more and see, and and also just listen to our patients and and our care partners to to see what gaps they feel like they're experiencing. Yeah,
0: and and as we think about gaps, I, you know, there may be people who have listened in to and they've heard about the services we might be able to offer, mm-hmm. and and they might be thinking, hey, maybe we should do that. So any advice to people who might be listening that might be wanting to set up services in their own um, institutions? where to start, what to do, what to focus on, what's highest impact.
1: Yeah, I I think a lot of it's going to be based on a needs assessment, starting with a needs assessment in your own area of what are the things you are currently providing and what's going to be the lowest hanging fruit as far as who do you have available? Are there maybe small things that you're already doing that just aren't being advertised very well, starting with that and then looking into the community to see if you can start bringing in some licensed partners for for things like art therapy, music therapy, work with local entities. Um, we're also absolutely happy to communicate with anyone interested in learning more about our programs and how we're running and and what we're doing. Um, and you can definitely contact the, the resource center and you would actually reach Brio. And Excellent. that would be a great way to at least connect and and get a sense of what we've got going on at the time. And, and Brio can help filter you either to me or to one of our individual providers if there's a specific service you're interested in.
0: Oh, that's excellent. Well, Melanie, you've provided some great insight for us today. Is there anything else that uh, that we've missed?
1: I'm really excited about these services. I know our, our patients really appreciate them. And as we've started the Caring for Care Partners, we've heard a lot of really positive feedback. So I, I think there's great value in offering these types of services. So uh, anything we can do to help people know what's out there.
0: Very good. Well, thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: If you'd like more information on our patient support services, you can call 216-445-2273. That's 216-445-2273. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.